This episode brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. I'm here with Dahlia Fami, owner of Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy, where they specialize in rehab of fire and police. Dahlia, welcome. Thanks, Corey. It's great to be back. So Dahlia, you and I have talked a little bit about the fact that your clinicians are specialized in what you call kinetic chain biomechanics. And that's why your team understands the human body better than the majority of physical therapists out there. Can you explain a little bit about the training and what it means to the members of fire and police departments? Yeah, Corey, of course, I'm happy to do that. So at our clinic, we are the only clinic in Chicago that has nine fellowship trained therapists in kinetic chain biomechanics. What that means is that we understand the human body in motion from the head all the way down to the toes and recognize that everything is interconnected. If our therapists are not fellowship trained, they are certified, so that's just one step lower. Many times you go to physical therapy and you have a shoulder problem, let's say, and then all they do is look at your shoulder. The problem with that is that your shoulder doesn't really move by itself. If you hurt your shoulder, let's say swinging an ax, well, more than your shoulder just moved to make that happen. So if you're not looking for the rest of the body for a problem that put a strain on your shoulder, you're probably missing the boat. I gotcha. And, it, and um, so, I mean, it's, it sounds pretty much like that, uh, like the old, the old song, foot bones connect to the knee bone, huh? <laughs> exactly. Uh, we are the only clinic in Chicago that sends all our clinicians either to get certified or fellowship trained in that. That's what it makes us different. If you don't look at the body completely in your assessment and your treatment, you know, you're just not going to get any better. Well, there you have it, folks. If you're looking for a full-body approach to physical therapy, look no further. Go see our friends at Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. They have seven locations across Chicago, and you can read up on their training at sportsandortho.net. And remember that you no longer need doctors to get a prescription. Thank you for being here. My pleasure, Corey. Thanks for having me. All right, welcome back to Chicago's Bravest Stories. Today, we're lucky enough to sit down with Mr. Malin Mitchell, currently uh, Mass and Fire Department Local 311, uh, and uh, he's got a lot of other interesting stuff coming up soon, too. So uh, so we're definitely going to dig into him. Uh, Malin, how are you today? I'm good, brothers. How are you guys doing? We're wonderful. Wonderful. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, I mean, I got to tell you, we were looking through, um, I was looking through some notes on you, and it, it, I'm super excited. It's going to be real interesting. Um, so I guess we might as well just start off. So um, where'd you grow up? How'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up, so I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And then uh, shortly after I was born, we actually went uh, to out here at University Park, which is about 35, 40 minutes south of Chicago. Oh, yeah. So I grew up uh, out there about third grade and then I moved to Delavan, Wisconsin. It's over by Lake Geneva, between Janesville and Lake Geneva. Oh yeah, um, off of ninety. But I uh, went went to high school in Delavan. Uh, then I after that was done, I went. I thought I wanted to be a chef. Oh so really? I came, yeah, I came back to Chicago. I went to Cheek, which is a cook and hospitality institute of Chicago. Huh. And after about 
two months, I realized this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I figured you could be a better paid cook at the firehouse. Yeah. So I, I just, I remember calling home to my parents, like, I don't want to do this. And they actually told me before I went there, like, you don't even like cooking. Why the hell are you going to chef school, <laughs> culinary school? So it's a two-year program, but then my parents, uh, they made me stay for the year. So I was going to culinary school during the day, working at Sport Mart downtown LaSalle Avenue. Oh, wow. Then I was going to an uh, EMT class out in College of DuPage in Glen Ellen. Yeah. And I got in, that's when I got involved in fire service. Wow. And, uh, I mean, it, it's looking looking through. You got a couple brothers in the service, too. Yeah. Um, my, younger brother's, uh, my younger brother's up in St. Paul, Minnesota. My older brother's down in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. Yeah, you guys are spread out all over, huh? Yeah. Did uh, did you guys have a family um, before that that was in the fire service? So you guys kind of we did. My my older brother started it, and then it just kind of trickled down from there. Oh, that's cool. So you were uh, so nineteen years old. You actually got started in the fire service then, or wow? Yeah, I got hired at nineteen. I was fortunate, and uh, I actually applied in all. Chicago. I was living in Naperville at the time. Okay. And I and I was working in uh, Westmont at State Farm Insurance when they used to have the claims offices. Yeah. And I was I applied at every department in Chicagoland area, huh. but I got uh, rejection letters because I was only nineteen. You had to be twenty one. Oh yeah, but I got hired in uh, Peoria, Illinois, okay. and Madison at the exact same time. It's like their tests were like running back to back. Wow! And I got hired in Madison. Me and my wife picked to move to Madison instead of Peoria. Well, it seems to have worked out pretty well for you at this point. I love yeah, <laughs> I, I love Madison, man. Yeah. So, um, so you guys ended up moving to Madison then? Yeah. Set up shop and yeah, moved from uh, Naperville to Madison, and the rest is history. Been on almost 20, 24 years now, almost twenty five years now. Wow. What's uh, what, what does it look like getting hired up in Madison? Do you, do you start the academy right away off the bat, or yeah? So we, um, so you didn't have to, the reason Madison hired me. One is that you didn't have to uh, be twenty one years old. Mm-hmm. You only had to have a high school um, diploma, which I had, and you didn't have to have any, although I had my EMT license, but being an EMT in Illinois is not being an EMT in Wisconsin, so I had to take that all over again anyway, but yeah, it sucked. But uh, yeah, I got hired, and we have a, at that time, it was like a 13-week academy. So as soon as you get hired, you put right in the academy. Just jump right in. Yeah, we had uh, about 17 that I got hired with, and we lost five of them. Yeah, we right jump right in academy thirteen weeks and then got a station. Okay, how was the academy? The academy Almost. was it was tough, man, because yeah. I didn't have any fire experience yet, and uh, um, I, I I I did well. I think I was number three or four out of the seventeen we had. Well, it actually turned out to be uh, twelve. Okay, we we lost some, but uh, three or four. But it was tough. Yeah, I was young. We had some. Uh, folks in there that had some experience that came from other departments and came from some volunteer departments. And you were married already? Yeah, man. I got wow. <laughs> Jeez. I got married at uh, 18 years old. Oh, my God. You got married before you got to drink? That's, I, uh, that's real I, I, that's <laughs> and I didn't start drinking until I got on the job either. Uh-huh. So I can't blame it on being drunk getting married. <laughs> it was planned. No kid. So you uh so you're going through is and your brother's uh is your brother on the job already at this point or your older brother? My older brother is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is he giving you any tips? Any pointers going in? Or uh, like- no, he he actually loved being a paramedic. You know, really? I, and I'm not a paramedic. Yeah. I'm just I'm just an EMT, but uh 
He, uh, not really, not, not really tips. Uh, my younger brother was at the time trying to get on other places. Um, but no, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting, Fire yeah. Academy, but I got through it. Yeah. And it, yeah. Uh, so they're going through like basically, cause I, I, we did talk for a couple minutes before you came on. So, so Madison, um, up in Wisconsin, you guys got, what'd you say about 500 guys? Yeah. So we got 500 in our local. So okay. Madison proper had, we have 400 members oh. and then, uh, we, we represent, and I'm local president up there too. Yeah. And we represent, uh, about a hundred members that are cities that are contiguous to Madison. So okay. like suburbs essentially. Oh Yeah. Uh, we're not a county department, but we're set up almost like a county local. We got 13 affiliates that are part of Firefighters Local 311. No shit. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's how we. Uh, and are you guys only um, only fire suppression up there? Or do you guys man the ambulance also? Or? Yeah, we got we got uh, we're fire based EMS in Madison. So okay. Firefighters and paramedics. Um, some of our local our affiliates are actually uh, EMS only standalone EMS providers. Oh, okay. So yeah, we have. Uh, in our local, we have the litany of everything because we have some that just do fire as well. But then in, in Madison, we're a fire-based CMS. So we got 14 stations, um, eight ambulances, oh, and wow. have two paramedics on them. Uh, curiosity, are you guys, uh, um, are these all uh, public entities that are part of yeah. 11? Okay. Yeah, all public, yeah. Oh. What, uh, since you got EMS stuff? If you're in Madison and you're on the ambulance, are you a single role paramedic at that point, or are you rotating into a fire apparatus, or is it, do you do like a jump company? Like, how is that staffed? So in Madison, we have one engine that's designated as a uh, ALS engine, um, Station 14, our newest station. So uh, between our medics, they rotate in and out of that station, but when you're a medic in Madison, you are essentially, um, you still do firefighting, uh, depending on what your assignment is when you get on location. Um, but uh, majority of your work is spent just is being on the ambulance. But your your paramedics who man the ambulance, they've gone to the academy, they, yeah, they're, they're firemen as well. Firefighters. We all go through the same academy. Okay. Yeah, we start out there. And some people are hired as medics. Some are become medics. We have a medic class, you know, every year or so. Oh, through Madison Fire yeah, Department? Yeah, so you put in a goal to be oh, a Oh, that's cool. Yeah. 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 You know what? It seems like that's kind of what we find talking to people around the country is like, I mean, unless you're in New and yeah, I mean, really, unless you're like in New York or Chicago um, or one of these real, real huge cities, like there's there's a lot of sharing of uh, sharing of responsibilities when it comes to the ambulance and the... Um, so how long, how long are you on until... Uh, well, you get done with the academy, and uh, you get an assignment. Where, where do you end up landing? I end up way west, station number seven. I had a uh, old crotchety lieutenant that did not want a rookie. No, no. <laughs> is that pretty rural, uh, like west of Madison there, or is it still very urban? No, uh, it's pretty urban. Yeah. I mean, not as urban as Chicago, yeah. right? But it's it's. Uh, I mean, houses and everything else around us. There's really no rural stations. Uh, in Madison, probably. Madison, other station like uh, 14, which is way kind of south, southeast. Um, Does the university fall within yeah, that so, area? Right. So I work downtown at Engine 1 right now, and that's right downtown Madison. I don't know if you've been Madison, but State Street, and then uh, kind of backs up to State Street, and then Engine 4 is our university station that's right there at the University of Wisconsin, right across from Camp Randall. Or the Badgers play. Yeah. Uh, but I, I've been downtown majority of my career. Okay. You know, I'm on a lake rescue team. Um, you 
graduate the academy, you go out west, and do you remember your first fire? First fire, I do. How'd that go? Uh, it was. <laughs> if you say not so well, you're going to be in the majority of people we ask that question. <laughs> yeah, don't, <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to do, don't, my, don't be pressured. <laughs> I, I tell you about my first day. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah let's yeah, talk yeah. about your first day. My first day, I had five P&Bs, pulses, non-breathers. That's, uh, that's not good. No. It's <laughs> not good no matter where you are. Them, <laughs> <laughs> back then, the rookie, and I, I, don't, I guess it's that way today, too, but back then, the rookie ran this old physio control. We ran the uh, defib yeah. and the pads and everything, and I had to do it five times, four, <laughs> four or five times. I remember being like, holy cow. Like, like, is every day like this? I mean, I remember doing, yeah, four or five P&Bs, and then uh, – my first, my first day on a job, actually, my lieutenant tells me a quick story. My lieutenant tells me, he says, uh, so you're supposed to be bring donuts in your first day. So my station only had four people at it, right? So he, uh, and you go in a day early to visit your, when your shift before you actually get on shift. So I went in a day early, visit my shift, met my crew, and he says, I'll make sure you get here before I get here. And I said, what time do you get here, sir? And we started at 0700 in Madison. I said, what time do you get here, sir? He goes, I get here at 630. So I get my first day on the station. And I remember, I'm like 19. I'm probably 20 years old this time now. Oh, yeah. So I'm young, dumb. and so I get there, and I go buy donuts. I bought like 36 donuts. And got the fresh new uniform on. Yeah. yeah. And I walk in, and he's he rolls in on his Harley, gets off. I'm sitting there in the dark because I don't want to wake the uh, off-point <laughs> shift all, all yeah. up yet. And I don't know what to do. So I'm just sitting there in the freaking dark in the watch room. He rolls in, and... I said, hey, I brought donuts, sir, and it's like 36. He goes, who's going to eat all these fucking donuts? Can we score here? Yeah, absolutely. No. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, who's going to eat all these fucking donuts? I was like, well, sir, I just want to bring it up for everybody. So long story short, I, I, I didn't know what was going on, man. I'm not going to lie to you. And he, he tells me, he goes, all right, your first, uh, first order is put your gear on, put the flag up. Put your gear on, put the flag on. I'm like, wow, I'm getting my new shiny gear. So I got my gear. Yeah. He says, put your gear on. So I grab it out of my bag, and it's new shiny. And I get it. I'm putting my bunkers on. and Right by the, you know, the, the rookie sits behind the officer. Yep. Lisa Madison. We're putting my bunkers on. Put my turnout coat on. Go to grab my mask, my pack. And he comes out. He goes, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> he said, I'm putting my gear on, sir. He goes, put your gear on the rig, not on. He's like, what the hell? So he walks away. He just turns, looks at me, and walks away. I'm like, oh. Because I'm like, why do they put the gear on every morning? I'm like, I don't know. It's a tradition. Just put your, yeah, put your gear on. So right. I'll tell you, man, it was a rocky start initially. But my first fire, my first good real fire was uh, uh, over on Allied Drive, which doesn't mean you guys, but it's uh, kind of a bunch of apartments. Um a uh, very, very populated area. Um, it was actually a basement fire. And I remember someone taking a nozzle from me because mm. I wasn't ready yet. Not that I wasn't ready. I wasn't physically, like, I was putting my mask on and everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember a guy named and you Bubba. And you were on the nozzle that day. Yeah, I was on the nozzle. Okay. So this this lieutenant, which is rare, this lieutenant actually has, uh, he always had his rookie on the nozzle to see what they're made of. Yeah. most places, you, you know, like I do now, my rookie's on the, takes the hydrant. Okay. But he wanted me on the uh, nozzle to see what I was made of. So any senior firefighter that came in or shipped in that day, they didn't understand it either. They were pissed off. But hmm. 
I got to Oslo and I ended up giving it up, man, because uh, I just had this. There's, there's this other firefighter there on ladder nine. He was, he's like, "Come on, rook, you're not ready. Come on, rook, you're not ready. Come on, rook, you're not ready." And I'm getting all my stuff. Well, you know, oh, yeah. my, my, and uh, I, I thought you. I was like, "Well, he's ready," so I handed it to him. Was that the last time you ever did that? Yes. <laughs> it doesn't take long to learn that lesson, right? And it, I got so much crap when I got back to the station. And then oh, I got, gosh. I got, and I, and I don't have any time on right, so I don't even know. I didn't know the firehouse culture that everyone talks, and they all, all, and we only at that time ten stations. Yeah, that everyone knew what the hell was going on. If, if you're on the east side, you still know what's going on the west side. Oh, so, like the gossip. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it got around. I'm like, like wildfire, right? No pun intended. It got around so fast, and I got a guy named Bubba calling me from Station Four, saying you never give up that nose unless you got a red helmet out there. Unless a red helmet tells you to do something with the lieutenant, then yeah. you don't. Do, and I'm like, what? I remember calling home my wife. Who? Is Bubba. <laughs> right. I didn't remember Bubba. Yeah. This guy's like, hey, it's Bubba, Station 4. I'm like, okay. Hello, Hello Mr. Bubba. <laughs> <laughs> I remember calling home my wife and saying, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Come on. I, yeah? I would remember saying, like, I I want to make it. Yeah. I'm oh, saying, yeah, like, no. I got this Bubba guy calling me. I don't know who the <laughs> hell he is. Right. He's, but he sounds important for my sure. My lieutenant you know. tells me, you know. So how, how long were you on before you before that happened? Uh, probably only about two weeks. Oh, man. Yeah. So that's why, I mean, it was, it's all happened in just succession. Oh, yeah. And it's just like I had like four P&Bs, which actually went well. I, mean, I, I, I don't remember if we saved them or not, but I remember the call went well. But, but did, I put my gear on. Did you anticipate on. How, much, uh, how much EMS you were going to be getting into? No. Really? No. I mean, I, I, I knew that EMS was a big part of the job, but, yeah. and that's why I took my EMT class before I got hired. But uh, Definitely goes to show how seriously we're taking it going into it, you know? Yeah, and I, I just started Firefighter 1 classes, and uh, I got hired in Madison. So I started one, my firefighter one, and was got to f- complete my firefighter two, but I uh, got hired. And the only, re- you know, the only reason I got hired in Madison was because it was the one and only time they actually advertised in the Chicago Sun-Times. Remember, we used to read papers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know how old you guys are, but we yeah. used to read papers when we were younger. Yeah. And we'd go right to the back. The sports page was always on the back, so you flip mm-hmm. it over. And then you open it up, and then they had the one ads. It was oh, the last page. Yeah. And they had Madison Fire on there. That one and only time they advertised and said, only be 18 to apply. So I was ready to go. Mm-hmm. Giddy up. Oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah, well, so, yeah. Well, I, I don't think uh, when you uh, introduced Malin that what, what you're actually in the process of doing right now. Um, yeah. So why don't we let everybody know what you're actually involved in right now and what it is that we're we're trying to promote for you so we're and done it, with fire stories you're saying no we're definitely not done with that <laughs> but i just want to make that connection before we get too far into these stories vince, vince got that whiff of uh vince got that whiff of you giving up the nozzle he's not happy about <laughs> he's done with it. He's like, oh, don't embarrass yourself you're telling me <laughs> no because I, I i guarantee you there's redemption in here oh. when we move forward so so i uh I am running for pres- general president of the International Association of Firefighters, which is our international union. Uh, that sticker that we all have on the back of our cars, a lot of us, and that Maltese cross, uh, that's representative of the IAFF. So I've been, um, I'm our state president, Professional Firefighters of Wisconsin, which is our state association, about 4,000 members, 60-plus uh, locals. And I've been that since 2011. And then uh, I'm also my local president in Madison, uh, about 500 members, and I've been that since 2014. Um, but I'm running for general president right now. It's an open spot. Um, president Harold Shaperger is uh, not seeking re-election after being there 20 years. Um, 
and I'm running against uh, Brother Ed Kelly, and we're running against each other. He's currently our general secretary treasurer at the IFF. He's out of Boston. And uh, we both be, he became state president of Massachusetts at the same time I became state president of Wisconsin. So I've known him for a while now. Um, but we're running against each other. And the election's coming up here. We have, our convention is all virtual, which is going to be next week. And then we'll get nominated there next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Then the uh, ballots will be cast or sent to uh, all the delegates' homes, and it'll come back. And we won't know, though, till March what the results are, March 3 through, 3 through 5. Um, but it's been a, a heck of a race. I just got recently endorsed by Chicago, local two. Um, Brother Tracy, Jim Tracy, um, president of Firefighters, uh, Chicago local two, uh, was also in the race, but he recently got out. Um, when he got out, he personally endorsed me, and then his local um, local two endorsed me probably a week or so later maybe. But it's a great endorsement. I mean, I love Chicago Fire Union, the history, and the you know, Chicago Fire Service and everything. It's it's great to have Chicago's. And you get a big connection here with growing up in the area, working out here prior to you getting hired out in uh, Madison. So you, you you do have a, a connection here. Yeah, and and I grew up, like I said, in University Park to third grade. But my wife's entire family is from the Chicagoland area. Um, my wife grew up in between Roseland and and uh, Country Club Hills out, out south. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I got out of high school, I came back to Chicago area, and uh, we lived in Naperville. I worked in Westmont. I actually applied at every department around here, Chicagoland area, once I realized what I actually want to do in life. Um, so, yeah, I, I love Chicago. I'm a big Bears fan, too. Are you? I am. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. And, and I, you don't get any right. heat for that no, being up there. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and when I and I ran office statewide, you can't admit that you're a Bears fan. No, you shouldn't. They pro- you probably get more heat for being a Bears fan up there than giving up the nozzle two yeah. weeks in the Bears in fan. It's not, but the, you know what? Being a Bears fan, it's not like it's because we don't win. So right, it's not like we're it's, threatening it's anybody, like yeah. right? It's, it's like, like we hate Yankees the Packers. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like we hate the Packers. We'll do the right. do Packers fans really hate the Bears because the Bears are. Easy to, it's like non factor, really. Right? It's like <laughs> yeah. the Lions. Like, I don't hate the Lions. We always beat them. <laughs> like, they call it a rivalry, but so, is it? Is it really, though? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, not. Yeah, they just they, didn't they, didn't Green Bay just win yesterday, too? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Um, so, um, Saturday, Saturday they played. Green I, Bay did. Oh, yeah, it was Saturday. They beat the yeah, Rams. Beat the Rams. Yeah. Um, I definitely do want to talk a little bit more about, about uh, the union stuff, but, but going back in. So, what year did you get on? Hey. I got on a job in 1997. Okay. So, um, so you're there, again, about 20 years old, 97. And um, you're a couple weeks in. How long How long are you stationed out west? Uh, only for a year. Then I get. Okay. Uh, I, I wanted to go downtown and be on the scuba team. That was the goal, to get down there? Yeah. And I can't hardly swim. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I was at the... <laughs> You couldn't, you you couldn't hardly cook. You went to cooking school. So. Yeah, I got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a trend, actually. But I couldn't, uh, I could barely swim, but I, I wanted to be downtown. Yeah. You know, but unfor- not unfortunate, but in order to be downtown, you had to be on the scuba team because the that's station. A, that's a requirement of being downtown? Yeah. Station one is on the isthmus. You guys know what an isthmus is? Yes. What do you do? It's almost like an island. It's covered by three. Three two, sides? Two sides? Two by two separate bodies of water. There's only like two or three isthmuses in the world, and Madison's one of them. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. 
So we got Lake Minota and Lake Mendota in the station, and there's a strip of land, like, right between them. Yeah. That's basically our downtown Madison. Um, so it's uh, it's good you knew that. I didn't know <laughs> that. That was close. That was, that was quick. Was close. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was good. But uh, So that's where Madison, our lake rescue team is. It's where our boat's housed downtown, so we respond to both lakes. And, uh, yeah, I went downtown is where the action was, though. Okay, it's yeah. Our busiest station, uh, actually – the busiest station in the county. One of the busiest in the state is Engine One. A lot of like you know drunks and kids. And, sure. And, yeah, like from um, the from the like every other downtown. Yeah, too. State yeah. Street and everything else. But it, it was it's fun when you're 20 years old. Oh yeah. <laughs> now I'm 43. It's <laughs> not the same. <laughs> Over. Yeah. So what's what's that station look like? Right, right now we got an engine. Uh, we actually just got a tiller, first tiller we've had in probably since 1960s. So we have oh, a, wow. a tiller downtown. Um, ladder, um, as well as our scuba team and our OIC, our chief is down there with their driver. Okay. So we got uh, 10 folks down there. Um, but I've been down there most of my career. Yeah. And you, so when you get in there, you, uh, you're signing the engine or? When I was a firefighter, we, for the most part, cause I was new, I was assigned to the engine. Um, but we, we kind of rotate. Um, but I was down there as a firefighter when I got promoted to apparatus engineer, which is our drivers. I was down station one. Then I was a chief state for a while, so driving the OIC around. I did that for three years. Then I wrote for lieutenant, made officer. Uh, now I'm an officer downtown. The union president um, in Madison actually has a spot on station one on the C shift, so that's where I'm at, 1C, okay. because there are administrations attached to it as well. Uh, so our chiefs are attached to station one as well. So that shift is designated just for the local president. The local president. Station 1C, yeah. Interesting. Is, a, is that a, is that a common practice? I don't know if it's a common practice around the country. You mean? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I could not tell you that. But I, um, it, it's been that way in Madison for probably at least twenty plus years. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're a couple of years in your career. I mean, you're almost. Uh, what are you, you're about 15 years in a career before you start looking at the union, right, to actually start helping out? Or no, I, anything notable up until that point? Or? I got in a union right away, actually. Oh, did you? Um, just by just different positions. I actually started on the charitable side of things. Oh, really? Um, so I actually I went to my first union meeting probably two weeks on the job um, outside of academy. And uh, I remember going to our vice president at the time and asking how can I help out. My lieutenant actually told me, like, you got to go to union meetings. You got to be involved. And I thought, like, it was my required, it was required to do it, right? Yeah. So I helped out. Guy? Yeah, a little crotchety guy. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> he's actually a good friend. I talked to him yesterday. Actually. Come on. He's, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. Oh, no kidding. Like, we're, <laughs> he yeah. lives down south now and retired. Hey, you know, I was just thinking about, like, if you would have brought in eight donuts, he would have busted your balls just as bad. Yeah, it wouldn't have been enough. You, like, you were just going to get it. That day. It doesn't matter what it was. Wow. 36 donuts. Yeah. Put your gear on. <laughs> but anyway, I got involved. I, I started with charities, and I got in our charitable side of things. In 1998, we had this big bus fire in Madison. and We started a charitable organization after that because uh, people wanted to give money to this family, and we had no portal or way to actually do it. Um, so we started a charitable organization. So I was our chief financial officer of charities in like 99, 2000. And then I got on our executive board shortly after that at our station. Um, and I helped run our governmental affairs division at oh, the wow. local level. Then I became, uh, actually, 
I used to run our burn camp. We have a burn camp where we bring in kids from 7 to 17 years old. Oh, yeah. Um, actually started here in Illinois. Yeah. But uh, we have our uh, Illinois Alliance for Fire Safety. We had Wisconsin Alliance for Fire Safety. And I was a burn camp director for six years, and I was a counselor for four years prior to that. Wow. So I started, you know, it was all firefighters. The union helped out a lot with that, all units in the state, nurses and doctors and burn units. Um, and then I got on our state board in 2009. Then I became president in 2011. Oh, okay. Because of some crap they had going on prior, like five guys had to resign. So, yeah, I, I became our state president in 2011. But I was on the board in 2009, the state board. Wow. How was, uh, how was that time with, um, with the burn camp? It was good, man. It's, uh, it's rewarding. Yeah. It's, uh, it's eye-opening. You, you realize how lucky you are because a lot of the kids that have been burned by fire or scalding burns have been abused. Um, they have really, really rough you know, home lives, a lot of them. Did you get involved in that before you had children, or did you have children before getting involved with the burn camp? Uh, I had my daughter before I got involved with burn camp, yeah. Okay. But it, it's uh, it's rewarding and depressing at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because you, you know, like, you're with the kids for a week, and you know what you're sending them back home to. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, but a lot of them are, they, you know, and a lot of them have Rough go. some behavioral health stuff that's going on. It's why they're in the place they're in. Yeah, this is it's uh it's a sad sad uh but it's rewarding too cuz they love it. The kids love it. We bring about 100 at that time about 90 to 100 kids uh from around the state. Wow. And uh we have about 50 60 counselors. Okay. Are you still involved in that? Uh I actually we run it now out of uh, the state association. We actually run it. Because I know uh, we had, uh, who did we have on here that was saying that uh, they were involved in that and with COVID, they got really basically shut them down for this year. And did you guys have the same experience? Yeah, we had to shut our, ours was virtual, yeah. a virtual camp, which that's not fun. I mean, but uh, we made the best of it. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Federal Savings Bank. I have Josh and Joe both here on the line. How are you guys? Great. Thanks for having us. You guys work with Federal Savings Bank. Who are you guys? Uh, what is Federal Savings Bank all about? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm Joey Matthews. MLS is one three zero six nine four. I'm also a firefighter with local seven one seven and a Marine vet. The Federal Savings Bank, man, it's uh, it's, it's a bank that's uh, owned by a bunch of veterans. We just try to help out our people. And I'm I'm Josh Hill, MLS one nine five nine six seven three. I'm also with uh, IAFF local seven one seven. Um, and we're on a team with uh, a bunch of other public safety guys uh, from the city and the burbs and uh, a number of military vets uh, on, our, on our loan mortgage team. We kind of got into what your company is about. Why should firefighters and first responders get their mortgage with you guys? Well, between the members on our team, we, we have decades of fire EMS, PD, military experience. Um, a large portion of our business comes from uh, emergency services, fire departments, uh, PD, because they, they trust fellow firefighters and, and truthfully they're right um, we won't violate that trust I mean I have to work 24-hour shifts with some of my clients and I don't think a lot of lenders can say that no and I mean we're, we're accessible 24-7 call text email uh, we're, we're always going to be able to get right back to you and we don't beat around the bush if we're telling you something has no closing costs we're going to tell you why that has no closing costs sometimes people raise the rate and say oh no closing costs but really they're just getting you on the back end anyway well, I know that this is a really great 
time to refinance and purchase now. Kind of explain to the listeners why that is. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot to it. But at the end of the day, right now, the the market is just historically low. I mean, I don't want to get into too much rate talk right now, but there's just so many market conditions with COVID that have led to historically low rates. Give your number out, give where everybody can reach you guys so that if people are interested in refinancing and taking advantage of these rates or they're just looking to purchase, uh, you might be a first responder, where can they get a hold of you guys? Uh, sure, they can call uh, They can call our team at uh, 708-356-7916. Uh, that'll get uh, through to our team here uh, at Federal Savings Bank. Now I know that I was going to put your name there before, but you guys have an interesting contest going on, right? Oh, yeah, honestly, as good as we are at the mortgage business, we're not that uh, creative at marketing. Yeah, so right now what we got going on is a Name Our Team contest. I literally just this morning created a Facebook page for this, facebook.com slash Name Our Team. We're developing a round robin. People can put in entries for team names, serious entries only. Whoever wins at the end of this contest, we're going to give them $1,000. Wow, $1,000. All you have to do is go to facebook.com slash Name Our Team for a chance to submit the winning name. Give that information out one more time. Facebook.com slash name our team. Facebook.com name our team. The number of Federal Savings Bank is 708-356-7916. Thanks, fellas. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And um, so you're you're starting to get more and more involved. Um, when uh, care to talk at all about about uh, Scott Walker? I'd, I'd prefer not to. I mean, okay. I can, no, Scott Walker. <laughs> um, Scott Walker became governor of Wisconsin at the same time I became president. So, you know, when you become the new president. What year is that, 11? 2011, yeah. Okay. So he came out, and then he came out with a bill called Act 10, which Act 10 was essentially a bill that killed collective bargaining rights for all public sector employees. Um, but fire and police were exempt. So we had an exemption from the changes. And we didn't know what the changes were going to be. When he ran for office, Scott Walker, you know, he kind of talked about making some changes to union um, collective bargaining. Are we talking about, like, Streets and Sands? and all, like, like all- AFSCME, everyone, like AFSCME, teachers, um, SCIU, so state employees, um, correctional officers. We're talking about teachers at all our school districts. Um, streets and others, yeah, water department, everything. Everywhere. Yeah, the yeah. whole state. So, so the whole state except for police and fire. Um, and it basically took away their rights to have union rights, collectively bargain. Yeah. So right now, Wisconsin is actually a right-to-work state. Yeah. Because he came after private sector employees and acts in 2014-ish. Was that, um, so that was the platform he was running on? Was No, he wasn't running on that at all. He was running on, you know, our state's broke and, Essentially, like take back our state, and we gotta, you know, live within our means, lower taxes. I mean, in your opinion, what was the whole purpose behind that? Was he looking to save money? What What was his agenda there? He ran it under the guise of saving money, saying we have a three point six billion dollars structural deficit. But he actually um, he used it as um, a way to make give himself a name. 
quite frankly. He ran for president this last time, or yeah. 2016. He didn't do so well, but when he ran for president, it was all about, you know, getting unions in check and giving power back, quote-unquote, power back to uh, the people of the state, not the unions. Right. Being fiscally responsible. Ironically, yeah. Yeah, but he uh, he also, so he was our Milwaukee County executive. So Milwaukee County is the biggest county in, in Wisconsin. Um, and he never got along with the AFSCME um, unions at all, the county union. Um, they used to fight all the time. So when he became governor, he kind of was like, okay. He had a bone to pick. Right. Now, now I'm the, now I'm the man. Did um take this? What did what did Wisconsin look like prior to all this? Were you guys still heavily? I know Wisconsin in general they kind of they kind of bounced back and forth red and blue yeah. right over the last however many years. Yeah, Wisconsin's a strong union state too. Wisconsin had one of the greatest uh, comprehensive collective bargaining um, rights in rights in the, in the country, and one of the first really comprehensive contracts in the country. Um, AFSCME was started in Wisconsin in 1932. Okay. Yeah. So Wisconsin's always been a strong labor state and working class state. And that, that just, I mean, that cut at the very core of Wisconsin. That's why you saw so many rallies, you know, hundreds of thousands of people coming on the weekends, to rally and fight back. Yeah. Um, not like what we saw last week. We were actually rallying and protesting. Right. But, uh, right. Um, no, Wisconsin is a very strong labor state, but, uh, Police and fire, we still have our collective bargaining rights for the most part. Do you? Okay. Yeah, we just can't we we can't bargain over health care plan design. It's called, which is essentially copays and deductibles. Okay. Yeah, and I know that's uh, that was one of your uh, one of the points in your plan coming up too, right? Yeah. Um, but the uh, so with that, I I was actually I was talking to a friend about this. So there were there were no unions, no fire unions that were actually destroyed out of this at this point, or no? No. Okay. Uh, we've actually uh, we've gained membership um, since oh, and awesome. organized since. But uh, how many locals does not to put you on the spot? How many locals does Wisconsin have? Do you know, sixty one. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Because we've had a couple that have joined um, after consolidated essentially, but we're about sixty one locals, about oh. four thousand members. Well, and not to, um, I mean, I'll tell you, man, not to. I was actually reading a reading an article. I'll, I'll dip into real quick. Um, but today is Martin Luther King Day, and I was actually just reading this article this morning about him, and I guess the night before Martin Luther King got assassinated, he was he was actually working with um, let's see, with yeah with with the Memphis uh, streets and sanitation workers, right. you know, rallying for labor rights. So I thought that that was pretty interesting for today that we're actually talking to talking to Malin with um with labor rights on Martin Luther King Day. Um, and I'm black, so and um, and, <laughs> and Malin is black. So that you got. I'm you black gotta, too, actually. If you guys haven't seen, you are it not. <laughs> I'm not black. <laughs> we don't know about Vince. I'm We're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like a Benetton commercial in here. Yeah, yeah. We're, we can all do all different color makeups. It'd be great. Um, well, now you're turning red, actually. I'm. Oh, White, red, actually, right now. You got him good. Uh, you got him good. <laughs> he got me. <laughs> well, I think he wants well, to well, say I'll it. Just... up with it. Um, <laughs> so, well, I, you know what? And actually, what I was the the big lead in for that, I, I was going to tee up with um with you being so you were elected president of the uh, of Wisconsin, and 
um, and and I saw that you were the first African American to serve as president for Wisconsin. That was going to be the oh, I, I'm tomorrow. sorry, I, I got ahead. I backed myself. No, up. don't don't no, back down. It up. was awesome. <laughs> no, it was good. Um, so the thing though with, with Martin Luther King, he was actually yeah, you're right. He was down there, and he was I think from what I've read, obviously I was yeah. there, but I was, he was totally because they knew something was on the horizon, and um. He gave a speech that night that was, if you look back, it was so eerie. It's almost like he knew that something was going to happen. It's like I've been to the mountaintop and, and other things he said at that speech. It was in a church that night, and he was actually rallying that during the day with, um, like he said, AFSCME local. I forget their local number. It doesn't matter, but their AFSCME local that they had two – African-American sanitation workers that when it was raining and thundering, storming outside, they had to actually, they couldn't go inside with everyone else to seek cover. They actually had to go in back of a pickup or back of a garbage truck. And they went back of the garbage truck, then a garbage truck engaged. Um, they actually ended up getting murdered, yeah, they right? got, Yeah, they got killed in back of a garbage truck. So that's why he was down there that um, speaking out against that. And that's a time when, like, labor rights and civil rights was really you know in, in in step with a lot of um just basically you know rights for all people right you know that we're all treated at least equally or at least have a chance you know at at the American dream so to speak so it was a time when uh, labor rights and civil rights were really conjoined yeah I definitely I definitely thought it was interesting like what I was reading because I, I guess I never really I mean obviously Martin Luther King is known for his civil rights movements, but I, I guess I never really tied them together. I didn't know too much about the, the labor rights history with them yeah. prior to this thing when I was reading it. And, uh, and yeah, seeing. Why are you guys working on MLK day? You guys aren't supposed to be working today. It's a, it's a paid holiday for us. <laughs> Vince said he'll uh, buy a couple eggs or something. Every time. Uh, so, uh, okay. So, and then um, who did you end up taking the reins from um, when you became president of, of Wisconsin? Uh, I became president at a time when we had some, there were some FEC complaints going on. I inherited I didn't do it. But okay. my predecessor was a man named Mike Wudzicka, Woody, um, who actually is our current vice president. Um, but when I took over, our state association was at like a crossroads. I mean, we had seven or eight locals that wanted to pull out of the state association. You know, there's the IFF, which is our international. Yep federal level, then there's every state has a state association. Like here in Illinois, you got the AFFI, mm-hmm. um, and we got the PFFW, and then you have your local level. Well, it's not required to be part of the state association or to be part of the IFF. Um, so state association really has to show their worth and the need and why you're in existence. Well, we had seven or eight locals at the time because there's so much infighting at the top. And when I took over that, they uh, they said, oh, we're going to pull out. Um well, they all stayed in, and they gave us a chance. In about two years' t- time, we turned things around. We actually got Milwaukee Local 215 back in, which they're out of the state association for 26 years prior to. Really? Yeah. Wow. Did you have to campaign to keep them in? Did you have to, to go out to these in. guys? And the, oh, the guys who were going to pull out, did yeah. you have to say, hey, you guys got to trust me. I'm, so I'm going to. I asked them to give us three years. They said, well, we'll give you two. Um. So yeah, it was campaigning. It was it was what what we did was we actually got rid of got stopped with all the bullshit, right? We cut through all the crap at the top levels, and we just went back to the basics of what is our job, what's our mission, you know, our seven 
core objectives, five out of the seven are political. So our job is to advance the interests of firefighters through legislation. Um, and we did that at a very tough political landscape with Scott Walker being governor um, and everything else. And we just got back to the brass tactics and realized what kind of union would we have and what kind of union would we be if we were just a member-oriented organization. If everything we did at the executive board level, we got 11 board members, right? Mm-hmm. Everything we did at the executive board table was about the membership, not about our you know, external politics or Republicans versus Democrats or not about our next election because we got, at the time, three-year terms. It's about let's do what we need to do for the on behalf of the members. Because I asked that because that kind of seems how you want to move forward with the international. You kind of seem like you have the same game plan, like work from within and kind of work on the members first. Yeah. And and we'll get into the handful of things that you that really mean something to you that you're basically running on. But uh, it seems like your goals back then are still your goals today moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, the union has done so much for me personally, right, in my life and my family. Um, and I, I realize not everyone's going to agree with everything we do as a union. And they're not supposed to. We're not all going to agree. But we need to just keep our focus in what the, what the job of the union is. And that is hours, wages, working conditions, health and safety for us and our families. Right. And um, making sure we have adequate retirement and retirement security, making sure we have health insurance that is affordable, Uh, making sure we get raises and get compensated for what we do. I mean, no one's getting rich off being a firefighter, um, but making sure that we're adequately compensated for the jobs that we do. I mean, we sign up for it. We know when we go to work that that we could maybe not come home. Um, And we should be adequately compensated for that. And the union, us working together, as one voice as opposed to, you know, 20 or in my case in my local 400-plus different voices just doesn't work. So having that one common voice and that common thread that's talking to the city that's working with administration um, is, is important. And what we've done in, in Wisconsin when we turned our state association around, getting back to our majority of our locals are 100 and under in size. So getting back to making sure we take care of locals of all sizes having the education they need. We used to have an educational conference that would bring 30, 40 people in, but now we get, now it brings 240 people, folks in, brothers and sisters, because we just lowered the fees. Actually, two members from every local can come for free. Um, we got more vendors and more just more educational components. I mean, we started Charitable Foundation from the ground up. Uh, in 2013, I put together a working plan for us to have our own charities at the state uh, office. Started from zero dollars, now we have close to a million dollars in assets, two full-time employees at our state office. Because I think it's important for us as firefighters and as the unions to see our community outside of the emergency. So we're actually there and helping when we're not just doing our jobs and a daily task of our jobs. And it's, one, it's the right thing to do, and two, it helps us at the bargaining table. You know, It helps us when there's brown out of stations or when they're trying to um, close companies or, uh, you know, Hire, have less staffing through attrition because then our community has our backs when we're going to city hall or our county, our county uh, exec or what have you. And that's important. So I would do, take that same tenacity to the IFF and at the international and make sure we get back to a place where we're taking care of the members, not all the internal bickering. I don't know if you guys have been following, but there's been a lot of internal fights and strife at the IFF. Um, and I want to get it back to us actually being a united union. Um, and I believe we need a fresh start at the top. Um, in order to do that. What is the biggest 
um, concern that you are getting and hearing from members that they're looking for change? Internally, it's it's um, it's division. It's it's the concern is how divided we are as union leaders right now. Um, there's been a lot of um, allegations of misconduct and other things from our general secretary treasurer towards our general president. Um, and I can tell you, just coming from a place in Wisconsin where we were at a place where there was internal fighting at the top, nothing gets done for the members, right? And I shouldn't say nothing because there's still programs and services of the IFF and the folks that are doing the work are still doing good work. Um, but as far as being innovative and moving to the future and looking for the future and being creative at the top, there's, it's not getting done because it's, it's who can, you know, they're just bickering and fighting and who can screw each other at the top. And uh, we just got to get rid of that. And um, the things that are internally is division, but externally I think the number one priority is collective bargaining and making sure every local that's in the International Association of Firefighters has the ability to sit down with their employer and talk about hours, wages, working conditions, and health and safety. And I believe the, the ones that actually have collective bargaining, like us, should be the ones that are leading that charge. Um, we have a very, very good opportunity right now with the makeup of Congress hopefully to get collective bargaining passed this time, a national collective bargaining bill. Um, the IFF was very close in getting it um, in the past, but it came down to just one or two senators, and they were Democrats that voted it down because it was attached to military spending or whatever. Really? Yeah. Um, but we need to get collective bargaining for every one of our members in the IFF. How, how split are uh, IFF uh, locals? Right now, as far as uh, on who's able to collect a bargain, and uh, well, it's a majority of the right to work states. So a lot of states that are uh, southern states, really, that, yeah, that don't have the ability to collectively bargain. But there's been attacks, like uh, in Wisconsin, obviously uh, we were exempt. Right. But there's been attacks on our collective bargaining. There's uh, Ohio, under John Kasich, had their attack with SB five. Oh wow! Um, there's been yeah. challenges in Michigan, challenges in Missouri. So it's uh, it's widespread. That's why to change the conversation for us is to get um, get collective bargaining for everyone as opposed to waiting or taking that first punch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of work we have to do to make sure we can get that done. Would you say that it's your first and foremost thing in your campaign for general president is secure collective bargaining for all the members? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then one of the other points that you want to get across is improving the health and well-being of all the members. Yeah. So... What that means is, and that's, that's a broad brush, but if you breaking it down, it's talking about, you know, we're, we're losing brothers and sisters to cancer at crazy rates every year. And uh, we need to do something about it. And the IFF is leading the charge. There, there's a cancer registry, which was passed about uh, two years ago now, that essentially would provide big data for how firefighters are contracting cancer. Um, and that's great for the future as well. But, uh, you know, when it came to like NFPA 1710 and looking at how many firefighters we need on a rig, three, four, five, or six, and, and uh, low, medium, to high hazards and time-to-task analysis on what makes us safe so we can in turn make our community safe and how many firefighters do we need on location in order to adequately put out a fire and be staffed adequately. Those consensus standards were actually raised and heightened by the IFF and the IFF stacking a meeting in Anaheim, California and making sure that stakeholders from NFPA would raise consensus standards and what the, the standard was for how many we need on a rig based upon the hazard. 
So we need to do the same thing when it comes to cancer. And cancer registry is a great first step, but when you look at, like, the science is changing now, whereas now that you know, the retardants that are put on our gear, flame retardants, you know, like PFOAs and, and, and PFAS, like this retardants now, when it gets wet, it's off-gassing, or, or when it gets wet, it's actually permeating through the gear and actually permeating through our skin. So the very equipment that is meant to protect us is now we're seeing that's actually hurting Killing us. us yeah. and it's, it's hurting our, you know, you look at foam and the PFAS that are in foam, the things that we're using to put on a fire um, is actually hurting us. So well, I know there's big uh, class action lawsuits with the, uh, with the foam now. Yeah. So th- things like that when it comes to cancer, and we need to do everything we can, work with engineers, holding manufacturers accountable. Um, and making sure that we're doing everything in our power to keep our members from getting cancer. And the other thing is it's our mental health. Um, we're losing more brothers and sisters. And they both suck, right? But we're losing more to actually our brothers and sisters taking their own lives than we are um, in the line of duty death. Um, that's a problem, right? And, we, and the IFF started what's called a center of excellence on the East Coast, which is uh, essentially almost like a fire station. Um, set up where only firefighters can go that are in the IFF and um, to get the behavioral health treatment that we need. We've had seven or eight of our members from Wisconsin go, and they, in their words, it saved their life. Um, so we need to do everything we can when it comes to PTSD and PTSI. Um, and right now the IFF is in the work of getting a center of excellence on the West Coast in California, which I would make sure we get done, also the one up in Canada. Um, but when it comes to behavioral health treatment, um, we need to do everything in our power to make sure that workers' comp is covering uh, our members before it is too late and paying for the treatment that our members need. And it's something that we can no longer not talk about, it's something that we can't just kind of brush under the rug um, because our members are dying out there. And it's something that has been um, talked about more recently in the last decade or so, but it's something that we need to talk about all the time. And, and make sure our members get the help they need. Well, we talk about uh, mental health here on this podcast pretty frequently, right? I mean, we've had people in here who've agreed to come on just so that they could talk about it and raise some awareness and just unvilify that you're having an issue. So that's uh, one of uh, our projects here too as well. So we definitely know where you're coming from with and that. that. Just, that just goes to numbers, too. I mean, we definitely didn't set off on this thing thinking, like, that's going to be our primary thing, but it kind of has just yeah. from realizing how, how often it comes well, up. Well, and just yeah. from the time that we started doing this, people have, I mean, with just first responders across the board, it's just gone crazy. And we're behind you 100% that we need to really work even harder than we're doing right now because uh, we got to turn those numbers back. Yeah. It just seems like the deeper you dig, the, the more there is to it. Yeah. Um, and kind of going along with that, with that cause, I, I did know too that, uh, man, as the, as the PFFW, uh, present, you passed this infectious disease, disease presumption law. Yeah. So that was, uh, back in 2000 and, uh, that was probably back in 2009 or 10, we actually passed an infectious disease presumption. So we, we have some presumptions that were on the books, but infectious disease wasn't one of them. Okay. Um, so TB, um, hepatitis, uh, actually we got HIV and AIDS on there as well. Um, so that if, if one of our members has or contracts any of those During um, their infectious disease and service, that they, it's, it's presumed that you get it while on the job. 
um, as opposed to before the burden of proof is on the, you as a member or an employee to show where you get it, what call, where the exposure was, which a lot of times that burden of proof is impossible. Right. right. So at least now it's presumed that you got it while on the job and the onus is on the city to contest it if they so choose. Prove that it did not yeah. happen with you. Um, well, yeah, that's incredible. What, uh, we also got a line of duty. That same year, though, we oh, got yeah. a, a line of duty death health bill passed um, oh, where yeah. if a member dies in line of duty, that the their health care premium was for, paid for the spouse, their family, um, oh. up until they reached Medicare age. So that was a big deal as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that was all a team effort. That actually came from a, a, our last, or at the time, our last line of duty death, which was Arnie Wolf in Green Bay, who fell through a, a floor into a basement. And uh, his family almost went bankrupt trying to pay, you know, the Cobra amount, sixteen, fifteen hundred bucks a month for her and her kids. Yeah. Jesus. That brings us to the retirement security for all members, and I know that's a big one um, with, uh, you know, people with some time on. They're starting to consider and work the numbers about how they're going to work their retirement, and so. Um, what do, you, what do you have planned for securing these benefits for retirees? So when we retire, the number one question that is asked a lot is, you know, we all have our pensions. Some pension plans are doing better than others. But the um, number one question normally asked is, you know, how am I going to afford health insurance if you right. don't have any true retiree health care? Um, 75% of us in the fire service across the country don't pay into Social Security, career firefighters. Um, because of our pension, we have our pension plans. Um, my local, for instance, we don't have a true retiree health insurance. We get once you retire after fifty-five, you get on the Cobra amount, which is sixteen hundred, let's say, bucks a month. Uh, we have a RHS plan, which is kind of like a four fifty-seven to offset some of that cost. Um, but that's a huge expense. Um, so there's a bill that's in uh, the Congress in Congress right now from a Senator Brown out of Ohio that would allow. Um, early buy-in of Medicare at age 55 for public safety officers, so fire and police. Um, that's a game changer, I think, for our members. It's something that I've lobbied on, and a lot of our members across the country have lobbied on for the uh, last two or three years at the IFF Legislative Conference. And I think we have a great opportunity with the makeup of Congress right now to get that passed. So um, can, you, can you go into that a little more? So you can buy in two years earlier? Yeah, so you can buy in America, Medicare at 55. Okay. Um, so up until that's, actually, that's the bill that's being passed is giving the bill, you the opportunity to right. buy in. It's a bill that's in Congress right now. It's, okay. had, it's got, it's trying to get more co-sponsors. Um, Senator, uh, Brown out of Ohio is the, uh, the one that's uh, introduced that bill. So it's an early buying of Medicare and you can get for public safety officers only, meaning we can get in at 55, which is our normal retirement age, right? Cause we know, cause our bodies and our, I mean, Doing his job over 55 is tough. I mean, doing it at 43 is tough, right? <laughs> but at 55, I, I can't imagine. Um, but a lot of our members stay longer because they don't have health care. And they're working up to they get close to being able to have the ability to get on Medicare, which is 65. This will allow us to get in 10 years earlier. Um, and it actually will help the, help the Medicare program because we're actually buying in. So there's a cost of getting in, but it's, the cost is a lot less than having to pay a, a Cobra, Cobra amount for health care. Yeah. Right. So, and it's actually having younger people in the program will help and make it more solvent. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a win-win, really. Um, but it hasn't been passed yet, but I think with this next Congress and the makeup of the Congress, we should be able to get that done. Got a done. good shot. 
That'd be great. I would also like to see the IFF uh, explore having our own health care plan for active duty and retired members. That would be interesting. Yeah. Um, and not everyone has to be in it, obviously, but having a low-cost health care plan. And I would like to work with um, making a public safety officer plan, so uh, police as well as EMS, um, able to buy into an, or have their own health care um, system, working with our partners, healthcare partners across the country, uh, to have the IFF provide a healthcare system that our members or our locals can buy into yeah. um, for active duty and retirees. So I think that's something that we can get done as well. Yeah, I mean, look at uh, what's the what's the military one? USAA, I believe. The uh, right. insurance company. Yeah, but I mean, like their their whole design in itself yeah. is I I don't think that they do as much healthcare, but. Um, but insurance wise, I think that they're, and again, like they're only available to, I believe, military veterans. Um, There's, there's, there's international unions that actually have plans like that. So it's not something that's far fetched. I mean, the IFF right now has worked with Aetna to provide some Medicare supplement insurance, um, for retirees. So I just, this is another step. I mean, it's just just an evolution of what's what's there. Yeah. Yeah, It's going to take a lot of work, but it's something I think we can get done. What's uh what's a term for the general president of IFFA? Four years. Four years. Yeah. Okay. You think you? I mean, you got a lot of work. That's a that's a a big one. That if you don't get it done, you can definitely put a big dent in it. In your and, you know, you can uh, can you do consecutive terms? Yeah, our our, our current president has been there twenty years. <laughs> So I would uh, not see myself being there 20 years. I just think that, you know, I always go back and forth with term limits, and I've been asked this question a lot. Um, but I, I think if you can't get anything done in the first 10 years, then you're probably not going to get anything done in the next 10 years. So, you know, I would go in, and it's not like something's broke, so we're not bro- fixing anything. It's going in, having big ideas, being able to get things done, but also working with their 16 district vice presidents that are makeup of our 16 districts across U.S. and Canada. You know, work with our district vice presidents to get things done. And uh, I do have a lot of bigger ideas, and I think that's what the members deserve, right? We all pay per capita into the IFF, um, us IFF members at least, and uh, – we deserve to be represented, and we and we should have a leader that's going to be forward thinking and thinking about what's every day waking up like. What can we do to enhance our members and the men and women on the street? Because that's what that sticker on the back of our trucks means. It means we and the union has your back across the board, and uh, it starts at the top. And the international president out in D.C. should be thinking about. Um, how we can have our members' backs better. Um, and that's where it starts. That's why we pay into a union. That's why we pay dues. Corey, let's, uh, I think we got a pretty good idea of what you're about and what your your plans are and what, what you really want in the future of the international. Are you going to endorse me today? Is that what we're... <laughs> <laughs> the Chicago's Bravest Stories. Uh, you, d- if... <laughs> Do you need this endorsement because <laughs> if you need this because endorsement, you, Malin, <laughs> I got a call. We're going to we're going to call Corey's aunts who listen. Yeah, if my two aunts are, are going to be your swing votes, <laughs> I hate to tell you this. <laughs> oh, no, but uh, and you know what? 
I do support everything that, that you have in mind and that what you want. Everybody who's part of the international should want the same things. So I'm behind you. You know, we try not to get too political here because we want everybody to have an opportunity to, to say what's on their mind. Uh, you know, let the, let the members hear what you have to say. And they're the people that I know that we've had other political stuff on here and some people lose the sight of who works for who. And I think you, you have a good idea that the leadership should be working for the membership. Yeah. And that's important to me. And I truly believe in, uh, and I actually at times hate that term servant leadership only because I have a lot of, a lot of chiefs use it and they don't quite know what it means. I don't think it's just like a, just a term they throw around, but I, I truly believe in servant leadership. And that is, you know, I, I'm not going to DC or even now as state president, I'm not some union boss, you know, I'm, I'm nobody's boss. Actually. I, I'm in charge of actually working on behalf of the members that pay the freight to the union. So, um, if I win, I'm not going to DC to be big, some big union boss. I'm mm-hmm. going there to actually work on behalf of the members and, uh, you know, you have that. There's 324,000 members in the IFF. We've organized 123,000 of those in the 21st century. So we're continuing to grow, and that's between U.S. and Canada, um, and 25,000 plus members in Canada. So it, it's um, I work on behalf of them if I'm their president, and and they they will drive and and direct me on what we need to be doing to enhance firefighters and paramedics all across the country. Uh, with the IFFs leading the way in so many things, you look at cancer research, presumptives, um, things we use like as local presidents, municipal financial analysis, GIS mapping studies, and at the federal level, look at the Zadroga Act, which was the act that was passed to actually pay for health care and, and benefits for members that were on the pile during 9-11 and after 9-11. Um, COVID-19 that we're all dealing with. The IFF actually was able to get passed last year, a presumptive that if our members die, that it's presumed they died and they have a line, it's a line of duty death now. Um, so that's a huge deal. So the members the families can get the public safety officer benefits from the federal government. So the IFF is strong, man. It's in my opinion, it's the baddest union on the planet. <laughs> and uh, we just got to enhance some things and just keep it moving. Well, uh, Corey, bring it, full circle now and go back to Mainless Fire career, I want to know, did you ever solidify your relationship with Bubba? Did you ever... Uh... I did. <laughs> you said he's your guy now, right? Uh, that's So Hubie's my lieutenant that was old crotchety guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He came on He's uh, he came on back in the late 70s. Um, I actually talked to him yesterday. He, he's, he is my guy. He, we're actually good friends. Bubba is just since retired two years ago, but I got to know Bubba well. Yeah, um, but Bubba is—he's uh, smaller. Yeah, I, I thought he's like a big white dude with like a big mustache. Just say you think bald, like right. just just like a big like. He's yeah. just small, <laughs> like like Bubba from uh, what's it called? Uh, what the fuck was it? Uh, he is gosh. bald though, but he's not. Is he? I just uh, thought it was this big. Yeah, guy's gonna grab what's me. The, what's, and, the, what's the football movie? Wasn't Bubba in there? Bubba. Oh, your uh, Varsity Blues? Was it Varsity Blues? Didn't they have a Bubba? One of them had like yeah, big white the guy big who had the pig with him, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm thinking of. You called him Ham or something like that? No, I don't remember. <laughs> you really got us off track, man. Yeah. All right, so, <laughs> so I got Bubba's back. Cool. I got Bubba's cool. <laughs> I realized that I don't give up the knob anymore, so I, I never, <laughs> never done that again. And so, uh, I realized you, I don't have to put my gear on every morning. 
just to raise the flag. <laughs> These are the lessons you learned two weeks into the job. So well, some of that was the first day. <laughs> you don't got to bring thirty six donuts for four fucking people. Yeah, uh, we're still learning that by me. Right, yeah. right. nine apiece. Uh, you got, uh, you know, there's like there's four guy, and then you got a couple for the table. Right. You never know. Yeah. You have a guest over. You don't want them to not have a donut, you know, or their selection of said donut. What um? So going through, I mean, you start making. You're downtown. You're downtown now. Um, what? So are you guys pretty like technical rescue oriented down there? So, then would you say? So we used downtown. Actually, when I went downtown, was the hurt team. So our technical rescue team and our scuba team. All okay. at one station. So we were we were trained on both. Uh, but since uh, all that USAR stuff came out. Um, and I was on our USAR task force for a while, nice. but they actually moved out to Station 8 on the east side. So everyone at Station 8 now is uh, um, our urban rescue guys. team, essentially. Downtown's our lake rescue team. And then on the west side, Station 7, where I started, is actually our hazmat team. Really? So each, yeah, we they, they split up the... Um, split and Basically, our double, double company stations are... Um, our special teams. Okay. Were were you a part of any of those special teams? Just scuba or I'm part of scuba now. Uh, I was part of our um urban rescue team back when it was at station one. And our hazmat team were all hazmat techs trained, but we actually everyone on Madison's a hazmat tech. Yeah. Wow. Is it tech or operation? I think it's tech. Ops. Yeah. I know everyone around here has to be ops now. Maybe it's ops. I think in Illinois. Um, yeah, we're all trained in a, out of the academy to. Um, yeah, you got to train to the ops level. Ops yeah. Now, yeah. now yeah. they do. Yeah. yeah. Um, no kidding. Man, where'd you find time to do anything? <laughs> I was rocking and rolling. I'll, like, oh, yeah, I kind of dabble in the technical rescue team. Well, we're young, oh. man. It's like you want to right. take all yeah. that in, right? I mean, right. I want to do everything. Have you become a better swimmer? No. Since. no, come on, swimmer. <laughs> you know what? You got you don't really have to swim to be a diver. You have a BCD on, and you push a button to go down. Just, you and you press the button, it inflates you to go up. It's like you're in a fucking submarine, just up and down. It's got to be able to clear your ears. Yeah. Um, any uh, any big big rescues or big fires that stand out in that career? Oh, we got an hour. Yeah. No. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah. Nothing. You know, I've, I mean, I've got. I some. put you on the spot yeah. for sure. I, we all have our stories. Yeah. Uh, I don't go around telling them all, but you know, it's. Um, Mad- Madison, I'll tell you, it's great because we're adequately staffed. We're four in a rig, minimum staffing. It's huge. Um, yeah. That is, and uh, you know, four in a ladder to two ALS, two paramedics on the ALS rig. Um, so there's been a lot of calls and. and Fires, obviously, I've been through a 24-year career, but we always have enough staffing to make sure it's done the right way. We're not perfect. Don't get me wrong. Oh, we, sure. Plenty of screw-ups, and I've been part of plenty of screw-ups, but um, there's been some some calls that stand out, but... Uh, Those for you? Yeah. Those you're going to keep... Yeah. All right, maybe off well, there. Well, Corey, um, before yeah. we wrap up, you oh, got to yeah. ask them your... Hey, I got one of my one of my personal favorites. I'm going to put you on the spot with this one, too. Um Firehouse pranks. What's the best? Uh, what's the best firehouse prank you saw in your career? You or, saw, been or involved in, or or had done to you? Probably one of the best is a guy in the in the bathroom. Uh-huh. So you're in a stall. Other guys in a stall next to you. Yeah. Or actually, no, the guys in the stall 
you're standing in like the urinal. Yeah. You take some take a uh some Mountain Dew. Oh yeah. Put it in the syringe. Uh huh. You see this one. And then you <laughs> You hit him. Just you, a quick hit. You, quick hit. You hit, <laughs> you hit the guy's leg that's sitting in the stall. <laughs> Looks like you, you peed on him. <laughs> So <laughs> that that to me is one of the, the funniest. It's a, it's it's a classic one. It definitely yeah. like it's it's enough to just jar someone awake for sure. Right. Look at Corey over there going Mountain Dew. Yeah. <laughs> you guys use Mountain oh, Dew. Oh yeah, yeah. You got no. Yeah. Well, no. Yo, oh, that's you right. real? <laughs> no, it's not a prank. Then that's real. <laughs> you don't know the, what I the like. The prank is that you did it on purpose. Yeah. That's what the prank is. <laughs> the one I always liked though that was always easy is flowering somebody's bed. You guys do that. Oh, it's Which it's been talked that? about. It's been is talked it? about. Yeah, remember uh, Tracy Kenny was like uh, people would flower each other's pillow, and she wanted to be part of the group, oh, and yeah. she was like, you know, like she wanted her fill. She got in at a time where there wasn't too many women in the fire service, and she wanted to be accepted. And the pranks were going on, and she, you know that was something she was wanting to have done to her was like play pranks on me you know flower my pillow do all that and, and now you know she's the chief of broadview just a wonderful person we talk about the pranks all the time but i think that's an important part of the fire service you know it's yeah. it's when you don't get pranked that you know you people gotta, probably don't like you <laughs> right right yeah but yeah we used to flower i used to like to do that and it, the guys sit sit sleep next to me and just you know, they make their bed up, and then you just throw, like, a bunch of flour and put it back together for them. They don't know this, so they lay down. It's dark, and then they wake up going to call this flour all. <laughs> There's flour all on one side of their body, and they're like, what the? I've always liked that one. one of, well, the uh, beautiful thing about the flour is you don't really know that, that you've been flowered. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Until you're making a run, and people are looking at you like. There was, uh, there was this paramedic by us that um, – he would come in and he would just go straight to bed and um, to his, to his right. Like there were, you know, they, they would run a lot, you know? So like there's times where you'd, you know, guys would be working a double or they'd um, work on the ambulance where like they're doing a double, they've done a couple calls in a row and, and up all night and they're just exhausted. So, you know, it's fine. But like every day this kid would just set up shop and just like, <laughs> all right, I'm in bed at, at nine 30 or whatever. Just drive me nuts. And so um, I took a I took a urinal cake out of the um, not out of the urinal, but out of the, out of like our storage. Oh, you know, God. we got like just urinal cakes to drop in the toilets, and uh, and I cracked it and I put it in his pillowcase, and I just saw him like just freaking out for like for four or five hours. He just did not know where the smell was coming from. <laughs> like, and it was just you know, it's not like you know, it's not the worst smell of the world, but you're there's some going on, you know. And I just remembered him like just finally at the end of uh, end of the afternoon like just taking all of his stuff out and just like shaking out all of his gear he's like did somebody put like bleach in here somebody just freaking <laughs> out and like just you know did, just that, did that stop out. him from uh going no, to bed no didn't, didn't stop him. No. oh man a guy i came on a job with he actually uh, we were at a place and his son came out um of the bathroom with a urinal cake in his mouth oh man yeah that's not good that's not good <laughs> I took one of the mints out. <laughs> right, these, these, took one of the mints out of the bathroom bus. <laughs> this candy tastes horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'm honestly, man, I'm trying to think of uh, trying to think of anything else we can we get. No, we just uh, yeah. No, I mean, 
we can't thank you enough for making yeah. the time. We know really. you're busy and, you know, you're kind of doing like like a press junket right now, you know, yeah. uh, making your way out. But, um, you know, congratulations on yeah. your endorsement uh, with Local 2 and we wish you all the success. And yeah. there's anything else, you know, when you want to do something more with uh, Burn Camp or something like that or you want to promote anything else like that, feel free to reach out to us and let us know what other projects you're working on and we'd be more than happy to have you back and have you back as the president. You know, we can talk some more. Yeah, I thank you guys for having me and uh, I'm glad we could do it in person. Yeah, yeah um, that, that was awesome. Unfortunately, last night I was at the Northside Fire Brigade. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nobody gets out of there alive. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> Well, thank you for uh, yeah. get, getting yourself together yeah. and coming out here. Yeah, right. Dude. And I'd like to wish out uh, to my uh, friend, brother, Tracy, local two president, uh, good health. And uh, I pray for him and his family. And uh, it's uh, Chicago Local Two, is a, as we all know, is a very um, storied union as well as uh, fire service. I mean, backdraft. We, I mean, oh, yeah. I know it's a movie, but I still I still watched it. Weird. <laughs> 40, 43 years old, 20-plus years on the job, I still watch Backdraft. Yeah. And I like Ladder 49, too. But, no, I love the job that we all do, right? And I just, yeah. I mean, I love the fire service, and I love this union, though. And uh, that's why I'm running for international president, um, just to move us forward, Yeah, take I, us into the future. I got to tell you, man, like, there's um, there's a lot of guys that like to get your kind of time on the job, and you can see them be a little... A little frustrated, a little, a little rough around the edges, and like for you to just have such a good attitude about about our guys and and um, about the union as a whole is pretty uh, pretty impressive on my end. So, so yeah, thank you, thank you again. Good luck, yeah. and uh, thank you for tuning in to Chicago's Bravest Stories. Please make sure to visit our uh, podcast store, our website. Uh, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Um, iTunes. And um, again, please leave a rating. Please subscribe to all those. And um, and that's it now, Vince. You say that's goodbye it. Now. Yeah. Okay. All right. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> the opinions and views are that of Chicago's Bravest Stories podcast and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments, fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or law enforcement organizations.